Anthony Bourdain, thanks for joining us again. Good to be with you. Good to have you back. Certainly one thing that uh, seems clear in uh, looking at your travels around the world dealing with food is that food has not become homogenized the way a lot of other things have in this globalized world. No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the purest... uh the purest expression of a culture, of a, of a place, of a, you know, even a personal history is, is always going to be food, or let, let's hope it always is. And I think a lot of, uh, some countries in particular, really fiercely hang on to their culinary traditions, you know, even when, when their citizens emigrate. Uh-huh. And in fact, the culinary traditions are oftentimes, as things become more globalized, the one thing that they can preciously hang on to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's encouraging to see how Koreans, for instance, uh, uh, you know, have, have transplanted their food and absolutely refused to adulterate it or modify it for American taste. Talk a little bit about your travels, particularly in Asia first, and, and, and what you found there that was so remarkable. Well, you know, I mean, I think particularly when you're talking about the Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Singapore, Malaysia come to mind, um, you know, they're, they're so food-crazy and food-centric, uh, coupled with the fact that, uh, uh, you know, they... they They've been cooking and cooking well for a very, very long time. So, uh, you know, great ingredients and great traditions of, of colors and flavors and fresh ingredients. So it's just a particularly, for me, a very, very exciting uh, part of the world to eat in, you know, where, first of all, it's a very, you know, food-friendly environment, particularly when you're talking about a place like Singapore, where you have these open, uh, open-air open food courts of hawker stands uh, with food specialists, uh, one-chef, one-dish places, uh, selling the very best of the China Straits and Chinese uh, culinary uh, culture, uh, Indian food, Malay food, um, all in one place, all for all very cheaply. Mm-hmm. And people, rich and poor, you know, eat many, if not most, of their meals at these places. And you know that I, I, that's, I love street food in that part of the world. There's mm-hmm. just so much variety, and uh, the, 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 you know, you you can't get away with operating a business if you don't offer quality. And uh, you know, they know what they're talking about when they talk about food out there. So it's just a, a great place. And add that whole dimension of that pleasure-pain dimension of good spicy chili peppers, and I'm, I'm in heaven. How much of that food, talking to staying on Asia for the moment, how much of that food makes it here to the U.S. in, in, in ethnic restaurants around the country? Well, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, when you see what, what is transplanted in, 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 in authentic form, like a lot of the Japanese food, if anything, Japanese food back in Japan is is being influenced very much by uh, by American ingredients and, and American tastes. You know, you're seeing a lot of mayonnaise and sushi, for instance. Um, but um, you know, and Chinese food is certainly getting better and better as more Chinese move here. Uh, they're able to support businesses that don't need to to, to kind of alter the traditional Chinese dishes for American tastes, and you're getting a lot more and better regional Chinese. What we're really missing, um, I mean, of course, Thai and, and Vietnamese we seem pretty well represented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're totally missing is uh, the amazing Singaporean uh, Malaysian uh, food cultures of that that wonderful mix of uh, Chinese Malay and uh, uh, Peranakan foods. And I, I I would love to see that kind of venue and and that spectrum of flavors and ingredients uh, take root here because we're really not seeing it. And the few like Singaporean restaurants or Malaysian restaurants we see are, are sit down at a table affairs, and and that's really not the best way to enjoy that kind of food. Why do you think that's had a harder time taking root here? Um, I think we don't we don't have a food court uh, 
hawker stand, you know, a uh, uh, food stall culture, right. I think, largely for health concerns. Um, but, uh, you know, Singapore has really taken, has, 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 has managed that very, very well. They really rigorously and strictly enforce uh, health regs there in, you know, far more draconian fashion than anything we've ever done here. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of room for it. What about your health concerns as you travel around the world and taste uh, all of these exotic foods in exotic places? I mean, I eat what's local. Uh, you know, we have a pool on the show uh, among the camera people and me, you know, who's going to get sick first. <laughs> and it's always the really careful uh, members of the crew who, who are reluctant to eat street food. You know, for me, if a, if a food stall in a faraway land is busy with locals, chances are it's good. Otherwise, how, you know, they, they, they can't stay in business poisoning their client, their regular clientele. Um, so I'm usually, you know, make it through in very, very good shape. It's, uh, you know, you run into trouble when you go back to the, ho- you know, your major chain hotel, uh, you know, and order an egg salad sandwich. You uh, devoted a whole chapter in, in the book to Beirut. Talk about that. Well, you know, it was one of the most uh, discouraging and, and heartbreaking uh, episodes of my life. I mean, I found myself uh, in, a, in a wonderful city of you know, it felt very much like Miami. I mean, very westernized, very uh, very tolerant, uh, multi-ethnic. Um, everybody was getting along. Um, a party town with a great, great food. Uh, the, the people were thrilled that an American crew was there to eat. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the war started two days in, and I found myself uh, with my crew uh, essentially trapped in Beirut, unable to leave. I mean, they'd blown up the airport, they'd, there was a sea blockade, and they were bombing the roads to Syria. So we found ourselves uh, pretty much, you know, trapped there for 10 days until uh, the, the Marine Corps got us out. And you left there, as, as you alluded to a minute ago, pretty discouraged, pretty depressed. Um, yeah, I mean, it just seemed, you know, pointless and and uh, and uh, futile and uh, and ultimately destructive I mean this was a weak democratic government uh, you know I met a lot of nice people there Sunni uh, Shiite uh, Christian all of whom were you know seemed to be getting along it, it it felt to me like a Rumsfeldian dream of what the Middle East should be of what we want the Middle East to be and yet we stood by and watched this place get pounded back 20 years and and you know who's more you know powerful now. I mean, the, the bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. the law, they're more powerful than ever. They, they were a marginal party have been, uh, their reputation has been enhanced. <clears throat> you know, they're the heroes now. And that's, you know, that's a pretty regrettable outcome. Talking about Europe, what's new in terms of food in Europe? What do you still find that excites you there? Uh, in Europe, Spain excites me. Uh, you know, it's a, it's such a forward thinking place where they're very supportive of the notion that, you know, any, any, stretch of the imagination, any new technique, any departure uh, is, is acceptable. You know, their long tradition of, of, of supporting uh, the surrealists and, uh, and the avant-garde uh, has expressed itself in, in brilliantly in the food. You know, both their traditional food and their, their new kind of futurist uh, uh, deconstructed cuisine is very, very, very exciting to top-end chefs. Um, you know, as a, just the... the, the the pinchos or uh, tapas culture is very exciting, mm-hmm. and of course, I you know I have a love affair with Italy. Uh, you know, just doing simple things with with good simple ingredients really, really well. Uh, that's something that always appeals to, to chefs. How much of a, is American influence in food felt around the world? You mentioned Japan a little while ago. How much is American influence pervasive? 
Well, you know, if if you were to ask, you know, most of the world anywhere in the world, you know, what what they see as American food, they're going to talk about, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, that that is the most pervasive and dominant uh, aspect of our culinary traditions and and possibly even our culture as a whole. Uh, like it or not, that's the face of America um, you know, for most of the world. Um, that said, on the other end, in the you know the best restaurant in town. Uh, in Reykjavik or in in Sao Paulo or or Lima is very much going to reflect kind of the new American uh, the new what we come to know as new American cooking uh, a kind of fusion between French and some Asian influences and local ingredients um, so there is a strange eerie sense of familiarity uh, at the best restaurant in a lot of places in the world right now uh, but but really the dominant you know. You ask people what American food is, they're going to point at uh, Ronald McDonald. Is there something depressing about that? Deeply depressing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and do you try to explain to me when you engage people about food, as you're traveling around the world, obviously, do, do you, you explain to them, obviously, that this doesn't represent American food, although maybe a certain part of American culture? How, how, how do they grasp that? Or do well, I'd be lying, really. I mean, because if they came here, they'd pretty much, uh, you know, you wake up at any 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 airport hotel anywhere in America, and you look out your window. That's pretty much what you see is mm-hmm. McDonald's, the King, you know, uh, these familiar brands of fast food. Uh, you know, sure, surely there is so much more there, but I mean, at at first glance, that's what it looks like. Um, you know, I, I I think really the 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 only other the major. Uh, impression we've made on the world that that's universally kind of popular, um, and I think we kind of underestimate this is how how popular and how important uh, and influential uh, American music, particularly rap music uh, and uh, and rock music, are around the world. You know that has really struck a chord with people everywhere, hmm. particularly rap. Aside from Western Europe, how are chefs, the people that prepare food, how are they viewed in the rest of the world versus here? I think uh, there's been a general rise in the prestige of, of the profession in the last uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, you know, in the old days, if you in Western Europe, uh, you became a chef because you were the second smartest male child, or you came from a poor family, or because your parents did it. Uh, you were essentially packed off to, to, to hotel school or to an apprenticeship at a very early age, and you didn't have much choice. Um, that's and it was a fairly low prestige profession, even if you did well. <clears throat> you know, um, that that's changed, and um, you know, I think uh, as 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 that has changed, I mean, I mean, it's it's more of a glamour profession now mm-hmm. throughout the world. What did you find in Africa? Um, well, I did not like Namibia much, uh, but I I loved Ghana. Ghana was very very exciting. I, uh, one of the things that really struck me was. Well, first, how good the food was, how, how vibrant and spicy and varied and um, how incredible a country that, that is um, and how hopeful a place. Um, but one of the things that really struck me was that I'd listened to traditional uh, music of Ghana. And I said, wait a minute, I know these sounds. These are, you know, this is rap. This is, you know, I hear these sounds in reggae and jazz and blues and rock and roll. It's like all the music that I've come to know as an, an American birthright so much of those uh, fundamental noises, you know, originated in Africa. And I also found that same t- thing to be true with, with the food. I said, wait a minute, this is kind of like, you know, traditional Southern cooking. This is 
like gumbo. This is I see where a lot of things that we see as you know original American are, are have been have, have really been influenced by uh, uh, you know African food, West African food. Mm-hmm. There seems to be tremendous vibrancy as you write about it and picture it of of the foods and and what's going on in South America right now. Well, I mean that's uh, I you know I just I love I love going there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brazil is a very exciting place. Um, Peru is is a um, their traditional foods are wonderful. I mean, it, it, you know, they're incredible-looking places with with incredible-looking people, and and very uh, again increasingly becoming increasingly food-centric. But I was, you know, very pleasantly surprised, like how hip and how fun, and mm-hmm. uh, places like Lima, uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Buenos Aires are, and and how good the the modern food is, and how you know how how things have changed. Having traveled so far and wide, what still surprises you about food in the world? Um, I'm constantly surprised by by how how good um, how like how fresh food is in in countries where there's very little refrigeration and where people are poor, like Vietnam. I mean, it's stunning how how good, how fresh, how much fresher than ours often uh, food can be in a in a less industrialized country. Uh, China is, you could live there the rest of your life and it would be a surprise every day. Uh, you know, you hit whole new spectrums of sort of pleasure and pain uh, when you're talking like Sichuan province, for instance, where, you know, eating Sichuan hot pot can be a, you know, a very pleasurably sadomasochistic experience. <laughs> you know, you move into whole new areas of of, of enjoyment of food that you really didn't think you'd, you know, it's hard to imagine before you've been there, that you could be there at a table holding your stomach in pain in a full flop sweat, having the time of your life. <laughs> and how much of this do you desire personally to bring back to, to your customers in New York, to your uh, restaurant? N- none at all. I, I mean, I'm an old school uh, French brasserie bistro cook. That's that's what I should do. That's what I'm strong at. I, I'm not so arrogant as to think that uh, a few weeks in uh, China makes me a Chinese cook or, or makes me a chef who could uh, by bringing some of those ingredients back in any way, add anything to to you know uh, some you know it took them thousands of years to get it right. What what do I have to add to that? So how did you get started? Well, I started as a dishwasher and fell in love with the lifestyle and fell in love with the restaurant business and and just I liked being among cooks and in a restaurant and doing something with all that immediate gratification and and uh, and, and sort of quantifiable stats for success and. You know, after a while, I, I realized while I was having a lot of fun at it, and I was a, a good journeyman cook, I, I was not, you know, my technique was nothing special, and I wanted to be better. And I went to the Culinary Institute and uh, finished the program there, and then then got back into the business. What is the lure of that lifestyle? What what is it? Is, is it showbiz? What is it that hooks people? Well, I think it's always attracted the same kind of people. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's running away with the circus. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a different it's a subculture of of misfits and and uh, a very creative people, uh, people who for one reason or another are uncomfortable in the, you know, in a nine to five office job. They just don't want to do it, can't do it, feel uncomfortable in that world. Like working with their hands, using their senses. They're generally people with a you know a little crazy. And and I think if you read the books about the business going back hundreds of years, you're going to find pretty much. The same personality types, what almost whatever country you're in. And what are you looking at now? What's what's interesting to you that's going on in the business? 
Um, I'm really interested in a lot of the, the fine dining chefs who are deciding they've just had enough of the glass, you know, all the expensive glassware and the, you know, the, the, the elaborate service and flowers and all the nonsense that has nothing to do with food and are, are stripping their food down to, to become much more authentic uh, and the, the environment in which it's eaten a lot more uh, casual. I think Joe Robuchon has done that with the L'Atelier concept in uh, New York and Vegas. And there are a few chefs uh, around who are really just trying to um, do it right, do it authentic, and have it all about the food and less about the nonsense. Anthony Bourdain, no reservations around the world on an empty stomach. Tony, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. My pleasure. It was fun.